For gadget news and reviews, click to yourtechreport.com. Welcome back to Your Tech Report. Welcome back to Your Tech Report. Thank you so much for being along for the ride. Don't forget to follow us online everywhere. It is at Your Tech Report. I am Marco Flalo. Alongside me each and every single week, Mitchell Whitfield. And I'm happy to be welcomed by our next guest. His name is Mike Dooley. And he's the founder and CEO of a company called Labrador Systems, who have unveiled a very cool assistive robot at CES this year. Mike, welcome to your tech report. Thanks for being with us this week. Thanks, Mark. Really happy to be here. Now, Mike, we're here to talk about Labrador Systems and this new generation of assistive robots that you guys, did you launch this at CES or this is something that was just first showcase to the public? This was first showcase. So we uh, debuted it at CES. So it was the first time we publicly announced it. Mike, what I find really interesting is that when you come to a CES show in Las Vegas, you know, you see a lot of innovation, a lot of speculation, a lot of prototypes. For example, I watched this great video that Hyundai put together, which had this grandiose vision for a future where everybody's getting assisted by these different moving vehicles. And it was great. Mm -hmm. But things like that don't always or sometimes never see the light of day. Now, fast forward to you guys. You're showcasing something in use today, something that's not just a pipe dream. Was that important yeah. to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, it, you know, it, it, I, again, I've been in, I think that's now coming up on 25 years in robotics and it moves differently than people expect. I, I think there's a lot of high expectations from, you know, seeing sci-fi and even just seeing some of the showcase robots that you see, the ones that dance and do all these, you know, YouTube hits that get in the tens of millions. And there's a real big difference between what's practical, what's what's stuff that we're actually going to see personally in our life. And so our, our mission is really to focus on what's right around the corner. It's uh, what what's what can we do now with the technology to develop and help people, you know, in, in like, not in the future, but tomorrow, you know, tomorrow or, or next year. And, you know, I, I think that that takes a different effort because you're always trying to sort of, you're, you're trying to drive innovation, but you're trying to be very grounded in what's realistic and what can re really work for folks. So people who are watching this now or listening to this now, um, when I say the word robot or assistive robot, they're probably envisioning, you know, a dog running through your house, uh, the, a Roomba with some kind of attachment to it. Can you physically describe the product? And, and the product is called, brilliantly so, the Labrador Thank Retriever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so can you describe this physically to people? Yeah, I think the best way, and we sort of, this sort of undersells it, but it's 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 like a robotic side table, um, if you can think of that. It's a uh, it's 18 inches wide, uh, 23 inches long, and it can go. It it has a height that can go from 25 to uh, up to 38 over 38 inches, and it's flat on top. And what that is, it's a work surface. It, it, it's basically a surface for carrying items and storing and keeping things within reach. So if you wanted to have something that you could put a laundry basket on that's empty, if maybe you have um, you know, arthritis or you have back pain or you have some uh, other issue that you know helps, makes that difficult for you to carry a full laundry basket, you could put an empty one on the robot send the robot off to the laundry room and it parks right next to right that perfect spot next to the dryer and can raise and lower that basket. So it's in just pretty good position for loading things and unloading them one at a time. And so basically you have this platform that it, if you didn't, what's funny is when we were doing the initial press interviews and having people visit in a condo um, uh, for demos, we had three robots parked, or I think two, actually two robots parked in the room and one was driving around and someone says, well, how does it charge? And I said, well, it docks. 
And it says, well, where, where, how do you show that? Well, well, that robot right there, it's docked. I'm like, I thought that was a piece of furniture <laughs> and they didn't notice it after being like in, in the room for about 20 minutes. So it's, it's, it's sort of this weird blend. Um, if, you know, it's, when you take those panels off, it looks, it's entirely robot underneath, but we really try to hide that complexity and we, we can put a, it's, it's, it's a nice sort of rounded edge um, a rectangular robot that's got a nice flat top and wood paneling. It's a weird combination. And, but it, it's, but it has a very, when people would go to our website or see it on YouTube, it, it looks like something very different. And that was our intent. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's extremely unintimidating number one as well, um, which is, I think when you use the word autonomous, anything or robot, anything, uh, yeah. people are a little bit intimidated right off the bat. Physical, the physicality of the CS, it, it has wheels. It can navigate, right. um, you know, throughout your home, throughout your condo, um, et cetera, et cetera. The, the top surface that you, you talked about the, this, this blank canvas, um, I saw some promotional videos where it's going up to a counter and it's rolling something off a counter onto the yeah. surface. Can you describe how that works and what the purpose there is? Yeah. So the robot, so it, it, it has these two missions and we have two models. One's called Caddy and the other one's called Retriever. And the Caddy is basically the base model, same form factor, but is great for carrying items and keeping them. So you have two decks. You have this top deck that you could put like your whole meal on your groceries, you know, set the dinner plates on it and carry them all over in one swoosh over to the dining table. Then you have the lower cabinet that you could keep a lot more stuff like, you know, snacks, your, your pair of glasses, charge your phone. So it's got a lot of storage capacity. And when you go up to the retriever model, embedded in that design is there's a retrieval mechanism that can pull trays on and off of, of shelves and other surfaces. So we have pallets that right now we use like a standard cafeteria tray. I think it's 12 inches by 16 inches. Um, that you can um, put that on a shelf or on your countertop or table and keep, let's say, okay, that's where my mom is going to keep like uh, her snacks for the day, or it could be an, a, a bin with an extra blanket if she's uh, feeling cold. And she could ask the retriever either by from her phone or from hitting a button or using a, you know, a voice enabled device, go, you know, ask, uh, you know, uh, so whatever the command is, ask the robot to bring me the, my, the snacks and the robot will go off, pull that tray off the shelf, bring it to her. She can take what she wants and then it'll go and park and put it back in place. And what we were showing at CES is we plan to also offer a beverage size refrigerator that you could have a couple trays in for drinks, but also for like prepared meals or other things that could go and get something cold, bring it out to you and then put it back as well. Now, under the hood, there are so many smarts involved in making this work. Yes. This is more than just <laughs> more than just wheels and, and pulleys and, and things yeah. that go whir in the night. Um, there's a lot of camera element of it. There's a navigational element throughout the home, yeah. which is where a lot of your history and your experience obviously come into play here. So tell right. us what's on board and how we're going to make sure this doesn't run over my cat. Yeah. So basically we, we get, I think it's okay. People think that, man, they say, well, it's really, it's overly simple or it's not much of an innovation. And I think it, it, the perception of how complex it is, is inversely related to how complex it really is under the hood. Um, so this product wasn't possible pretty much 10 years ago because the technologies weren't around to do it in a, like in a consumer way. And so what we use is, um, the basis of it is a lot of the technologies that are out of augmented reality that, you know, if you're playing Pokemon and over there on your phone or AR headset, and you see that character jump up on a table and it stays aligned as you track in 3D position, 
those same things that basically let you move fake things in the real world and make look they look like they're really there. We use that with robotics to move real things in the real world. And that's pretty complicated. <laughs> so we use cameras that visually track the environment using computer vision. They don't see the world we, the way we do it. They see it in this almost like matrix view. It's, it's scary. The first time we did this, it looked like the matrix. <laughs> it's like, hey, are we in another reality? I don't know, but just, let's make the robot. But it, you sort of see this matrix type view of the environment. And that lets us one track our position. So when someone says, hey, I want, I've got a, a order or a grocery delivery or a package at the front door. I send the robot to the front door. It visually navigates and parks within a few inches usually of about its spot and it knows its orientation and its height. So if it's maybe parking at the front door, it lowers down so you can put stuff easily on the lower decks of, of the product. Then you say, okay, well, maybe if it was the groceries, I'm gonna send that off to the kitchen. And then you could say, you know, ask the robot to go to the, um, the you know, refrigerator and it'll visually navigate uh, to that path. And along the way, those paths are like flight paths that a pilot has. They're guidelines, but if your dog or cat is in the, in, in the, in the path, um, it'll detect you know, certain size objects and then go around those. It'll basically, they're elastic. We had a funny story. I think the first user we had it, she had two dogs and one of them was a border collie. And the border collie would learn because it's naturally herds things that it could basically herd the robot. <laughs> so when she would command it, it would hear the robot starting up coming down the hall and it would play with it and basically block it and see what it would do. So it was, it's pretty funny to have a dog controlling a robot named after a dog. But the, the idea though, is that you're using um, these sensors that we currently use a lot to sort of superimpose things on games and other sorts of applications. Uh, and detect obstacles. And we're, we're fusing that to sort of see things in 3D, know where we are in the house and also recognize when we see obst obstacles and then go around them. On top of that, what's unusual about the robot is it has a whole second layer of sensors. So if for some reason my cat darts out really fast and jumps in front of it while it's driving, when we drive really slow, we go about a, I think it's about a foot per second. It also has bumpers on. Every hard surface of the robot is pressure sensitive. And so my cat did this, she slid, she, the robot stopped, she didn't. She kept on sliding on the hardwood floor and bumped into it. And the robot knew to stop as soon as, when, when it stopped, when it saw it coming at her. But the other thing was it only stopped when she slid into it. And so it's really meant to be a gentle device for going around the home, getting very close to things, but also having layers of detection uh, because you have to operate in tight quarters. People are going to be moving around with you and you always want to emphasize safety first when you're doing that. Who is your ideal consumer for this? Who is the who in your mind? And I know there can be many, um, but there, what's the yeah. profile of the person that's going to use this? You know, it, there are many, and I think the one that we really want to make sure we hit is folks that have early onset conditions. You know, I think like when a lot of folks think there's a lot of natural fits that, you know, where someone has significant um, issues with mobility or pain, you know, it's very clear in a second. We have, you know, folks would come up to us at the, at the trade show at CES and say, Dana just got diagnosed with, uh, I think the case was Parkinson's and we expect he's going to be in a wheelchair full time in about six months. And man, this could be a lifesaver. Like those are the things people tell us. And that's the obvious case. The less obvious case is I think of my mom 10, 15, maybe 12 years ago um, before she, when she was still in her seventies, as she was starting to have difficulty with mobility and starting to use a cane or starting to have pain. The mission of this product is to be that extra pair of hands 
to keep you more active. Uh, I think a lot of things when, when we look at, it's not just aging, it's issues that affect, we have folks, a lot of the folks started in the study in their forties with early onset conditions. And the whole idea is if you have something that's interfering with your daily activities, whatever that is, whether it's, you know, it's progressive or it's a chronic, or it's something that might be acute. You may have had an injury and you're, you're trying to recover from it. We really believe that if you can help somebody do more when they're in that situation, either they can recover faster or, or, or do, be more independent, that you can either help them recover faster or you can help them prolong that level of activity. That you, if you're walking and, and like that's the whole idea with that laundry basket is that once it gets too heavy or too risky or just difficult to carry a full laundry basket, we still want you to do the laundry. We, we still want you to sort of do the loading and the unloading and moving stuff around and moving with the robot. So I, that's that's our end goal, because if we can get folks there at that level, at the moment where, hey, I'm start, this is starting to sort of, my body's changing or it's not doing everything the way it used to. If we can do it that way, the robot is there to sort of adapt and sort of help fill a gap and then sort of progress as, you, as you, your needs might, might fit. Does that make sense? Make, makes absolute sense. It makes it it's a compliment as opposed to something that's really supposed to just do things for you. Really, at the end of the day, it's supposed and, to and that's designed this, to help exactly. You. And this is whole yeah. positioning of assistive robots, and it's why the robot doesn't look like a person. It's not meant to replace a person. It's not meant to be a person. Like the, there's so many. I'll get on my soapbox, but you see at CES so many robots that have faces and arms that are fairly toy-like they you know they yes. they don't really do anything and here we really want to be, again be that opposite but the you know the person we serve has a face they already have <laughs> they're their hero for us and we don't need another person in the house what we want is a, that person to be as happy and as comfortable and as independent as they, they can be talk to me about some of the user reaction like people who have actually used it for the first time what has the feedback been like feedback's been super positive so we started again we've been in stealth mode so the robots you saw at the trade show or people are seeing in our videos or, or anything like that, those were actually pilot robots that we had in homes going back to February of 2021. And we placed it with a set of users of different issues for about five to eight weeks. And just the, the, the first, the big first reaction was they just use it. That was the first goal is that we place it there. We set it up in their home. We set it up on the set of bus stops, like the the, you know, the dining table, the front door, you know, the, their desk, uh, kitchen, all that sort of, all those locations. And then we don't give them a script. We just say, use it, whatever makes sense for you. And what we were seeing from, like, typically we were hitting for, for a lot of users, a um, hundred times or more uses a month, meaning that they were sending it to different locations um, repeatedly. So we were we wanted to make sure it wasn't just a honeymoon period that people didn't just play with it and then leave it in the corner. But what we saw is that that level of usage really leveled and was consistent, it became a habit. And so it became part of the routine for someone who had multiple sclerosis, who was in a wheelchair, she would go to the kitchen and you know get her coffee, get her breakfast all set up, then go to her office and we would see that we would see, she would send it to the kitchen and she would send it to the office and then she would send it back around noon for for things like that um, we could tell when somebody was doing the laundry because they were sending it back and forth from the laundry machine like to their their bedroom or to a closet and so the the big big thing was just usage and that's really unusual i've worked on a lot of products and to have something that there's no real user manual you just pop it in their house it's a robot and they actually engage at that level 
I, I don't think it was just a testament to the product. It's really a testament to the need. I, I really see this as a massively underserved um, segment of our population. Um, and uh, that, you know, that, that it, it, it really, really meant a lot to them. I think the other part was just that sense of independence. It's not just a functional thing. It's like they, these were cases where some people lived on their own. Others had caregivers. Others had their spouse there. And in all those situations, there was just this thing of like this positive attitude of like, you know, I've lost a lot of my abilities over time. Let's say for someone who has 20 years with MS. And like the, literally the quote was, this gives it back to me. And that's it, it, this that was emotional, just hearing those stories. And it was emotional because we had to take the robots away and rotate them to more people. <laughs> um, so that I, I get pity text all the time, like, hey, thinking about the robot, like it's like an ex-girlfriend. Um, so, sorry, we can't be doing any more testing, you know, nothing big. And, you know, so it, it's it, it's really been a wonderful experience, like having like the, the folks that you see in our that video that's on YouTube and on our website. Those are all real users who came in to talk about what they did. And a lot of the scenarios, like we show like somebody doing chick, uh, it's tortilla soup and taquitos. Like that was actually a selfie video that somebody sent us <laughs> that, you know, and, and or doing the, the, the taking in the groceries. So um, I, I think it just sort of fit like a glove for so many folks. And there's definitely things that we need to, you know, to refine as well as like, just, you know, make it more accessible for everybody. But, you know, the, that first like raw test was just so such a strong reaction that we were just we're super encouraged by that. Mike Dooley, uh, co-founder and CEO of Labrador Systems. Again, if you guys want to uh, check out more, you can head out to labradorsystems.com or check our social media. And we'll link you guys out there as well. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Thank you, Mark. Really appreciate it. And, and just really appreciate the, the feedback on the product and excited to be here. Thank you. Your tech report will be right back. Do did will the story of people podcast is now available on the crier media network the first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories ready tara sloan from the san jose sharks undercurrent podcast at nbc sports Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.